to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. It's the sixth episode. Real excited to be giving it to you. And today, we're going to add some balls to the sack that we've not yet talked about. We'll be talking a little golf. We're going to be talking about a little NBA basketball. Some big news coming from both of those. Then we're going to look a little bit more at the MLB season come to a close and the tragic loss of a young ace in the major leagues. But don't you worry, yes, we'll be talking about those balls, but we'll also be talking about college football and NFL, exciting week four in college football, exciting week three of the NFL, so don't you worry, going to be talking about some new balls, but going to be relying on some old friends, too, as well, with football. First things first, though, there's a real big game in the bluegrass this Friday night, and I'm talking about the Sanex Tigers against the Trinity Shamrocks, Trinity Undefeated this year, looking real good, just reloading with a lot of talent. I'll be honest, I have to say it. But all that talent they've reloaded with has never played in a game maybe as big as this. The annual rivalry, huge in Kentucky, maybe even bigger on a national scale. Sanex comes into the game, 4-1, didn't have Desmond Ritter, the quarterback for the Tigers, committed to Cincinnati, didn't have him for the first two games. Went 1-1 one one in those two games, but ever since he's come back, that offense has been purring behind him and Sam Taylor at running back. And then we look on the defense. The Tigers' defense is always stout, but this year, a little bit more stout, thanks to Kyle Robinson and Max Willinger on the D-line playing some great football. As always, the weather for this game looks a little rainy. you got to think that favors St. X being able to run the ball as well as they do. I'm looking for a big game from Sam Taylor on the ground and Desmond Ritter Looking for the Tigers' defense to step up once again. And the Tigers are going to come out with a win in this one. I'm thinking 28, 21, 24. It's going to be a real close game. But like I said, I like the Tigers to come out on this one. And I previously mentioned, probably going to need a big game from the defense. And I think Max Willinger and Kyle Robinson are two guys to give it to him. Now that we talked about the boys playing on Friday nights, let's talk about the boys playing on Saturdays. Yep, Saturdays are for the boys, and this week in college football was a good one. Start out on Thursday night, though. Clemson went to Georgia Tech, fifth-ranked Clemson. A lot of people thought Georgia Tech might be uh, be the upset here. Clemson looking ahead to that big matchup they got next week against Louisville. We'll talk about that a little later. But Clemson. First half came out, played like we wanted them to all season. Second half sputtered a little bit, but kept Georgia Tech intact. And they come out with a victory, does Clemson. 26-7, big road win. Uh, Way to build momentum for that big home game they got next week against UofL. Now we go from the coast to the south where the band would have been playing Dixie all night long because the 23rd-ranked Old Miss Rebels pounded the Georgia Bulldogs, the 12th-ranked Georgia Bulldogs, 45-14. Georgia wasn't able to get anything going in the game. Chad Kelly for Ole Miss played one of his better games of his career. Uh, You're happy to see Ole Miss bounce back after blowing another second-half lead against Alabama the previous week, but it just showed Ole Miss is a good team. You're not a good team if you can't stay with Alabama and Florida State like they did. And they really proved it this week by throttling Georgia. Georgia has to rebound this week where they play Tennessee again. We'll talk about that a little later. But for the recap for that game, 45-14 Ole Miss just 
pummeling Georgia. Didn't really expect it, but again, if you're a Georgia fan, you hate to see it, but it's very encouraging for Ole Miss. The next game we get to look at, we're going to stay down south, and we're going to go up a little north, though, to Knoxville, where Tennessee ended an 11-year drought beating the Florida Gators. Tennessee, 14th in the country, undefeated. Florida, 19th in the country, undefeated. Tennessee comes back in the second half. They were down big at halftime. I think it was more than 28 points, I think, and they end up winning the game 38-28. Josh Dobbs finally playing like we thought he would all year. Tennessee finally playing like we thought they would play all year. You like to see it. It's very encouraging for Tennessee that they can show, respond to adversity. Florida, I think they'll be all right. I don't think they're as good as everybody thinks they are, but still, very good team, especially in the SE East. If Tennessee does happen to slip up one more time, I think Florida can come back and win the SEC East and play in the SEC Championship game. But again, Tennessee showing that they're for real and they can respond to adversity, so you got to love to see that if you're a Vols fan. Now, a little bit of sad news here on the podcast. A personal favorite head coach of mine fired this week after a uh, 13-18 to loss. LSU falls to Auburn at Auburn on a very controversial um, play in the last seconds. But, like I said, LSU falls to Auburn, resulting in the firing of LSU head coach Les Miles. Ed Oregon, Oregon, Oregon I think that's how you say it now becomes the interim coach and in a uh, very bold move fires the offensive coordinator Cam Cameron who's a bit of a quarterback whisperer they thought when they brought him in but as you can see LSU hasn't had a real good quarterback in a couple years so maybe that was just a myth but Ed Oregon going out on a big limb firing him kind of poses question do interim coaches maybe have too much power but that's a whole nother topic for a different day I think he shouldn't have been able to fire him because I mean he's just an interim coach how do you know you're ever going to be there next year Looking ahead, though, later on in the year for LSU, they still have a lot of tough games. I think if you can look back at Oregon did at USC when Kiffin was fired there and he became the intern coach, he got the players to buy into a system and they really enjoyed playing for him. I think that's going to happen for LSU too, and I could foresee them with the talent they have, especially at running back and their defense, maybe upset some people because they're not going to be thinking that LSU is going to be near as good as they could have been but the big question now is are you going to try and bring somebody in in the offseason to replace Oregon as interim and and uh, Les Miles as the head coach a lot of names being thrown around the number one and number two guy Tom Herman from Houston has worked miracles down there got that program uh, one of the powers in college football or Jimbo Fisher from eight from the ACC in Florida State if I'm Jimbo Fisher I don't know why I leave the ACC and being a top contender in that every year where it's a little bit easier to go to a much harder conference especially the SEC West and be a coach there Herman has been 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 looked at by so many of the top programs over the years. Um, what I did not know, though, Herman's a, a California boy, and if USC comes knocking, I could foresee him going there. So LSU could find themselves needing a coach that not a lot of people are talking about right now. Like I said, those two names, Jimbo Fisher and Tom Herman, are the two big names and the names that first came to people's mind. But LSU may have to do a little searching because, like I said, Herman, if he's offered USC, I could definitely see him going home. And Jimbo Fisher leaving the situation he's in to go to the SEC, just not something I see him doing. 
Keeping up with the theme, though, we're going to stay down south. We're going to move on to the next game. We're going to talk about the 10th-ranked Texas A&M Aggies putting the beat down. Open up a can of whoop-ass on 17th-ranked Arkansas. Texas A&M winning the game 45-24. The game was in Dallas, in Jerry World. Trevor Knight, the transfer from Oklahoma for Texas A&M, 225 yards and two touchdowns, did not think Texas A&M was going to be as good as they were. I thought they had a lot of questions coming into the season. Didn't think they would have a solid quarterback. I knew Trevor Knight was good, but I didn't know he was going to be this good. If you remember him at Oklahoma, he helped beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, so I should have known better. Arkansas, with that patented run game, just wasn't able to pick up traction, and they fell down in the third quarter and had to throw the ball, so that run game really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, Arkansas's quarterback, Allen, did play well, 371 yards, a two touchdown, just not enough. Texas A&M showing they can be for real. I like what I saw out of them. A lot of speed on offense and a lot of physicality and speed on defense, which you need to compete in the SEC, especially against the teams that they have to play. I think they have to play Alabama coming up, but I think it's at Texas A&M, so that could be a little trap game. Not only a trap game, but an upset for Alabama in a top 10 showdown probably when it happens. But I like what I saw out of Texas A&M this weekend. All right, now that we got done talking about football down south, let's go to the coast, bros, where UCLA falls to 7th rank Stanford, 22-13. Christian McCaffrey had a nice game, 26 carries, 138 yards. But the big positive takeaway from this, if, you, or if you're a Stanford fan, is you got some consistent play out of your quarterback. Josh Rosen, though, for UCLA, a little inconsistent, 248 yards, only one touchdown. UCLA season's really going to depend on him. I thought UCLA might have been able to pull off the upset in this game just because I thought Rosen was going to come out and play a better game than he did. Didn't happen. Stanford showing that the seventh, uh, their seventh ranking in the nation is warranted. They can win tough games. McCaffrey is going to be explosive all year. They're going to be a threat in the Pac-12, not not to mention a threat for the college football playoff. Like I said, UCLA, a little concerning. Rosen isn't playing better, but if you're a Sander fan, you got to like what you got out of your quarterback, which has been a bit of a question mark all year, but showed that in a tough game, he can come out and win that game for you. Hope you didn't enjoy that Cali weather too much because we're leaving the coast and we're going to the frigid weathers of the Midwest where some say football is the purest. And we're going to talk about the 11th ranked Wisconsin Badgers going up to East Lansing to trounce the number 8 ranked Michigan State Spartans. Wisconsin coming out with a 30-6 win. Wisconsin's quarterback Alex Horn, Hornybrook, Hornibrook, had 195 yards, one touchdown, did throw an interception. Real game manager stats right there, but Wisconsin's defense really came to play. I wasn't sure. I had a lot of questions about Wisconsin coming into this game. They uh, beat LSU the first game at Lambeau, so pretty much a home game for them. LSU been a little rocky this year, as we've seen, but Wisconsin proven they are for real. I think Michigan State is still going to be a real dangerous team in the Big Ten. Wisconsin might drop a game here or there, so... This game shows that any week anybody can be beaten. Wisconsin shows they are for real. Michigan State shows maybe not as good as they can be, but can be still dangerous in the Big Ten. 
Again, I liked what I saw out of Wisconsin. They have a favorable schedule after these next three weeks, I think. I think they have to play Iowa and Ohio State still in these next three or four weeks. So they got a real tough schedule. But if they can come out of those games unscathed, I definitely think they have the best chance out of anybody to win the Big Ten. And Michigan State has a lot of opportunities left on their schedule to make some noise and contend for the Big Ten. So a real battle of two powers in the Big Ten showed Wisconsin for real. Michigan State not as good as we thought. But again, really encouraging performance from the 11th ranked Badgers. Alright, now that we've finally talked about week four in college football, we can look ahead to week five to all these tasty, tasty matchups that we have. First one I want to talk about though, Stanford at Washington on a Friday night. Stanford number seven in the country, Washington 10th in the country. I'm going to take Washington and I think they're going to lean heavily on their quarterback Jake Browning. 904 yards on the year, 14 touchdowns, two interceptions, real good ratio there. I think McCaffrey has a big game. I think Washington's defense finds a way to make a couple big stops in this game and as I said Stanford's quarterback play a little inconsistent I think it shows up big in this game I think the quarterback makes a couple big mistakes and they're going to try and switch out flip-flop the quarterbacks because they've been running a two-quarterback system all year under David Shaw but I think this is a game that's really going to bite him in the ass in Washington the Huskies are going to come out with a big win in the Pac-12 and a big win nationally on Friday night the next game we're going to talk about is going to be my upset of the week 23rd ranked Florida Gators are going to Vanderbilt. Noon game on Saturday. Florida coming off that devastating loss to Tennessee. Vanderbilt coming off a big win in Bowling Green against the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I think Vanderbilt's defense is really going to shine in this game. Florida's offense has been a little inconsistent, a little up and down all year. I think Vanderbilt's defense is really going to get after it. I think the crowd at Vandy, they understand this is a big game. Derek Mason is looking for a real big win in his coaching career. I think this is it. I like Vandy a lot in this game. I think it's probably going to be maybe a 7-10 to 10 point win for Vandy too. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think Vandy's defense is really going to show up and show out Saturday at noon. Looking at some other games around the country, we got Tennessee ranked 11th in the country going down to Georgia, who's 25th in the country. Uh, Georgia coming off that ass whooping they received by Ole Miss. Tennessee uh, coming off of that season-defining so far win against Florida, um, ending that 11-year drought against them. Georgia going to probably lean a lot on Nick Chubb. Josh Dobbs for Tennessee is going to need a big game. Jalen Hurd for Tennessee is going to need a big game on the ground. I like Tennessee in this game. It's a 3-30 game. CBS's game of the week for the SEC, I believe. Tennessee is probably going to come out and win this one. Maybe a little closer game than people expect just because I think it's at Georgia and Georgia fans are going to show up and show out like they always do. But Tennessee in this one for sure. Two games ago, gave you my upset of the week. Now this game, I'm going to give you my lock of the week. And this isn't for the team to outright win. This is just to cover the spread. And it's going to be the Tar Heels of North Carolina going down to Florida State. Yes, I'm aware two Florida State's going to be a hard game. But the Seminoles, 12th ranked in the country, are a 10-point favorite. And North Carolina is a good team. I don't think a lot of people have gotten the opportunity to see a lot of football played by North Carolina. Maybe the first game against Georgia when they hung in there all game just fell apart a little bit down the stretch. But they got a real good team. I like their offense. I like what they do. They got a real good punt returner, Swiss Army Knife slot receiver. And I think his name is Switzer, number three, little white kid, little Julian Edelman. I like him a lot. I think he's going to have a big game. Um, I don't think North Carolina is going to end up winning this, but I definitely think 10 points to be given to the Tar Heels too much. My lock of the week, Tar Heels getting it done, covering the spread down at Florida State. 
The next game we're going to look at is between OU, OU, Oklahoma Sooners, going to 21st rank TC who? TCU. Yes, the Sooners will be taking on the Horn Frogs. 5 p.m. on Fox. 21st-ranked Horn Frogs are going to need a big game from Kenny Trill Hill. So far, he's got 1,487 yards through the air, six touchdowns. Baker Mayfield, if the Sooners are going to have a win in this game, he's going to need to show up and reduce his turnovers. He's had a lot this year, two interceptions and a couple fumbles, more than you'd like to see. Oklahoma, a lot of expectations at the start of the year, not living up to him. Mixon for Oklahoma on the ground has been a real nice surprise for them. Kenny Hill, though, I think gets it done. I think TCU's defense um, maybe not be as basic as Oklahoma hopes for, but I think Kenny Hill and TCU's defense get it done. TCU's still my national championship pick. If it's going to happen, they got to win this game at home. Primetime game against a good team in Oklahoma. It's got to happen. So I think the Horned Frogs are going to come out on top on this one. The next game we're going to look at, we finally get to talk a little Big Ten football. Um, The Wisconsin Badgers, eighth in the country, go to the big house where they play the fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines. I like Michigan in this game. It pains me to say that. I don't like Michigan at all. I do think, though, they got a great team under Harbaugh this year. I think they're going to show that they're legit this year. A lot of people thought Michigan's first seven games were going to be a bit of a cakewalk. People weren't really sure about how good Wisconsin was. Wisconsin showed they're for real, but I think Michigan is just too much for realer, if that makes any sense. I think Michigan's the better team, and I think they're going to show it Saturday. Um, I do think... Michigan, the player of the game for them is going to be the receiver, Darbo. I like him a lot. Only 17 receptions this year, but he's when he's gotten the ball, 248 yards, four touchdowns, so about a fourth of his catches have been for touchdowns. And I'm thinking he's probably going to have probably two this game. Um, not Don't really know a lot about Michigan. I know they got Jabril Peppers, a Heisman candidate. He plays safety, returns some punts and kicks. Um, I think Michigan's got a real good opportunity to make a statement this game and show they're for real and show not only are they Big Ten contenders, but playoff contenders as well. And I think that's what they're going to do. I expect Wisconsin probably keep it close for the first half, maybe a little bit into the third, but then the Wolverines just running away with this one. And excuse me, after all that nice talk about Michigan, I have to go throw up. And now, probably what all my listeners are waiting for, wanting to hear my thoughts, my opinions, my prediction on for this game. We got the third-ranked Louisville Cardinals, 4-0, going to Death Valley, playing the fifth-ranked Clemson Tigers, also 4-0. UofL a two-point favorite. At the start of the year, they opened up as underdogs, and now... After Lamar Jackson's incredible first four games, they're a two-point favorite. It's on ABC. It's at 8 o'clock. It's the primetime game. College football, college game day is going to be there. Uh, second time in three weeks, UofL is going to be featured on that. Lamar Jackson, 13 300 1,330 yards through the air, 13 touchdowns passing, 526 yards on the ground to go along with 12 touchdowns. James Quick is the leading receiver for the Cardinals with 360 yards, 16 receptions, and 3 touchdowns. Again, almost one-fourth of his catches are for touchdowns. you got to like that ratio. But they're going to Death Valley to play Dabo Sweeney and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, Everybody, everybody's probably... Top two or three Heisman candidate at the start of the year. Hasn't played up to his expectations and his abilities this year. And you could say that about 
all of the players on Clemson, and I think this is the game they show up and they show the national, they show the country that they're a team to be reckoned with. Again, not only in the ACC, but for the college football playoff. And Deshaun Watson, I think, has a monster game. Louisville's defense is going to need to come out if they have a shot and stop him. I think it's going to be really difficult. Lamar Jackson, I obviously think he's going to be able to do his thing again and again. Probably going to have a real big game. Clemson, though, I think is going to find a way at home. Maybe a little Clemson Dabo magic in Death Valley. Going to come out. I think they're going to win. Going to be a real close game. Going to be a real exciting game. UofL, Louisville, pretty much all of Kentucky has been a buzz because of UofL and how well they've been playing this year. I love it as a football fan. I think, though, the Cards take one on the chin this week. I already hear the boos coming from Louisville, but I just think they're not ready to beat them. I understand that they beat Florida State, but that was in Louisville at Papa John's against a team that wasn't really proven that entire year with a freshman quarterback coming into a real hostile environment. Now you flip the script. You got Lamar Jackson going to Death Valley against a proven great player in Deshaun Watson. And Dabo Sweeney, I think, is going to coach up his defense a lot this week against for Lamar Jackson. And they're going to be able to stop him maybe once or twice in real crucial moments. And that's going to give Clemson the win. Again, really looking forward to this game. Going to be a real exciting game. I'm going to have my popcorn ready. I'm going to be watching, as you should, as everyone in the country should, because it's going to be a real high-scoring, real shootout. I can't wait. But again... Clemson is going to walk away with the victory Saturday in a real classic. So now that we've wrapped up week four in college football and we've looked ahead to week five, we can talk about the NFL. And before we go ahead, we got to look back as well. We can talk about week three that was in the NFL. The first game I want to look at is between the Texans and the Patriots. It was on Thursday night. The Patriots come out, open up a can of whoop-ass with third-string quarterback Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. New England wins the game 27-0, and this game didn't answer a lot of questions for the Patriots, but asked a lot of the Texans. Tex- the Texans were a lot of people's sleeper pick in the AFC, possibly to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. But this game, again, just raised a lot of questions. And if you heard this week, J.J. Watt could miss the entire season from a reoccurring back injury, which is very concerning. Again, raises another question for the Texans. But hats off again to Bill Belichick and the entire Patriots coaching staff and organization um, drafting well uh, Jacoby Brissett kid out of North Carolina State the rookie only had 103 yards the definition of game management had a rushing touchdown but LeGarrette Blunt, a man's game 24 carries 105 yards two touchdowns and like I said the Patriots didn't allow a touchdown or a score at all so their defense showed up and played well Patriots are only going to get better once Brady gets back this week three when they play the Bills. I'll talk about that in a little bit. They're going to have a bit of a quarterback controversy because both of them are a little banged up still. But again, Brady is on vacation right now with Giselle They're in Italy, I believe. I think I saw. So he's not even worrying about it. But hats off to Brissett and Garoppolo and the entire coaching staff of the Patriots to even be 3-0. A lot of people thought get 2-2 and let and let Brady come back and save him. 
but it's not even not that's not even the case. Patriots are just exceeding expectations again, three and zero on the year. Speaking of those Bills, though, Rex Ryan probably going into every week knowing this could be his last game as head coach of the Buffalo Bills comes out and what people probably thought was going to be an easy win for the Arizona Cardinals turned into a stunner for the team from Glendale. Um, the Bills come out and win 33-18. Carson Palmer threw four interceptions. The Bills' defense finally looked like what people thought it would under Rex Ryan. They got a lot of pressure on Palmer all day, which forced him to throw the ball up into bad situations and got four interceptions for the Bills' defense. Tyrod Taylor didn't play his best game, but LaShawn McCoy, 17 carries, 110 yards, two touchdowns, played a real good game. I like what I saw out of Buffalo, but... I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet if I was a Cardinals fan. I think they're going to be fine. Teams don't really get into their chemistry and going until about week four, week five. So that's next week. I think the Cardinals are going to come around and realize they need to get their head out of their asses. That the Cardinals, they got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, and they're going to be a team to th- to be reckoned with in the NFC. The Bills, I think it was a real inspired performance. I think Rex Ryan let the players know how r- much important it was, but. Like I said, next week they got a probably a bigger game for Rex Ryan and him and his coaching position as head coach. If he wins that game, I think he's okay against the Patriots. But if not, I think that hot seat is the hottest it's ever been for him. But looking back on week three, big win for the Bills. I'm a big enough man to admit when I was wrong, and this next game I was wrong with my prediction. I thought the Broncos going to Cincinnati to face the Bengals had Bengals victory written all over it. I thought the Bengals defense was going to be able to stifle Trevor Simeon, but they just weren't able to. And the Bengals are going to need to start getting it together. They're 1-2 one and, th- and right now, and it's a little concerning. They have the talent on both sides of the ball. But it's just not coming together for them. The Broncos moved to 3-0. Didn't foresee them being as good as they are. Trevor Simeon threw 312 yards and four touchdowns. Again, did not see that coming at all. But the Broncos just show their defense is good enough to win championships with a quarterback back there that if you don't turn the ball over, the Broncos probably one of, if not the best team in the NFL. The next game we get to talk about, the Vikings go to Carolina and they make Cam Newton look like Clark Kent instead of Superman. Newton only had 262 yards, but the big number for him came in interceptions. He had three on the day, and Carolina wasn't able to get their offense rolling at all. The run game was pretty much non-existent. The number one receiver for Newton, Calvin Benjamin, had zero catches, was not involved in the offense at all. Can't say it wasn't for trying, but Vikings defense just shut him down all day. Sam Bradford, 171 yards and a touchdown. He's Mike Zimmerman coaching him up, coaching the defense up. Um, Bradford may be a bit of a resurgence in a new city with a new team. Um, they find a way to win after losing AP for pretty much probably until December. The Vikings defense shows it's for real. Again, they showed it against a very high-powered offense when the Carolina Panthers' offense is rolling. It's pretty hard for anybody to stop it, but the Vikings showed they can stop it. Vikings are probably my most surprising 3-0 team just because of all the injuries they've had. But again, they're showing their defense and not turning the ball over 
You can win games and possibly championships. Again, don't think it's any reason for Carolina Panthers fans to be panicking right now. I think they just didn't expect the Vikings to be as good as they were, but I think Carolina is going to come along as well. Cam Newton next week will probably return to his regular form, and they'll be all right as well. The last game I'm going to look at from week three of the NFL season, you saw interstate matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles and like I said the Eagles they fly 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 and that they did Sunday they flew right over the entire Pittsburgh Steelers team beating them 34 to 3 the Wentz wagon ran right through the Steel City running over everyone in its way Carson Wentz had a great game I thought I was always on the Wentz wagon coming out of college, especially in the draft when it was the question was Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. I thought Wentz was a proven winner in college at North Dakota State University. Thought was the better quarterback. While I understand it's only three games into his career, he's three and zero though. No reason to crown him a Hall of Famer, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, any of that. But it's very encouraging to see that he can grasp an offense. Doug Peterson has him run a very simplistic West Coast style that each week just grows and grows. You can see the progression of Wentz, how comfortable he is with the playbook and the new plays each week that are added in. You can see that Wentz had 301 yards and two touchdowns. The Steelers just weren't able to get anything going all day. The receivers couldn't catch a cold. Their defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Any other type of uh, analogy you want to say, they just couldn't get it going at all. It just wasn't their day. Um, Very encouraging for Eagles fans. Again, I know I've said this throughout this podcast. No reason to hit the panic button for the Steelers. Just wasn't their week, but they'll get them next week, I imagine. But again... Carson Wentz showing he's for real, I think, and the Eagles moving to 3-0. That'll wrap up the recap of Week 3 in the NFL, but now we get to look ahead. Week 4, a lot of good matchups, starting off with a Thursday night game. Dolphins going to the Bengals, a battle of 1-2 and two teams, kickoff 8-25. Cincinnati a 7.5-point favorite. I like the Bengals in this one. It's going to be close. Don't know if I like them against the spread, but Jeremy Hill, like I said, Had a big game last week, but this week, going to need a big one as well. I like that they ran him a lot last week. He showed he can still be that bell cow back and carry the ball about 20 times a game and get you positive yards. Dolphins had a real tough game last week against the Browns. You don't like to see that. The Browns are a little bit of a low-tier type team. So I like the Bengals in this one to get to 2-2 and and the Dolphins to fall to 1-3. The next game we're going to talk about, we get to go down to the AFC South where the Colts go to the Jaguars. Jaguars 0-3, haven't played well all year, not living up to a lot of people's expectations where they could have been a sneaky team in the AFC South. Colts finally getting their first win of the year last week against the Chargers. And the best way I can describe this Colts team for the past couple years, ever since they got Andrew Luck, is... You know when you see a car, it's an old car, it's beat up, it's probably got some different parts on it, maybe a red door, a black top, um, the roof is blue, anything like that, but then maybe you open up the hood and the engine is just pristine. That's what this Colts team is to me. They got a great engine in Andrew Luck, solid doesn't really break down on it. I understand he was out a little bit last year, but when he's running, he's running real well. Could take you all across the country on a road trip. Um, 
comparable to Andrew Luck taking them to the playoffs, maybe to Super Bowls. But what holds him back and what is hard for people to get over is how they look with all their mismatched parts on the car. They don't have a lot of supporting cast around Andrew Luck, especially on the offensive line and on the defense. Their skill positions, especially the wide receivers, they're not too bad, but the run game, almost non-existent, and the defense just lets up points after points after points in game after game after game. And Andrew Luck might be that great engine, but he can only do so much. I like the Jaguars in this game. I know that was probably a clunky analogy, but that was the what came to mind. I think the Jaguars finally behind a big game from Blake Bortles and Allen Robinson get their first win of the year and start making some noise and start trending upward in the AFC South. Next game we're going to take a look at. The Seahawks go to the Jets. Jets played terrible last week against the Chiefs. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the ultimate game manager, threw six interceptions, so did not manage that game well at all. But I like the Jets in this game. Eric Decker is going to be out probably, um, aggravated, something in his shoulder. I think Brandon Marshall steps up big for them, and I can't remember the other receiver for them, but I think he steps up as well. And if not, they'll just pound the ball with Matt Forte. Yes, the Seahawks defense is still the Seahawks defense, but it's not as good as it has been in previous years. They're a little bit more susceptible to the run, I think, and I think what is really going to hurt the Seahawks is the injuries on their offensive side of the ball. Russell Wilson has been dealing with an ankle injury all year long. Um, Thomas Rawls, their starting running back, is going to be out for most likely his second week. Christine Michael has stepped in real well. He looked good in the preseason, looked real good last week, even though that was against the 49ers. Doug Baldwin has some continued back injuries as well. I think the injuries might sneak up on the Seahawks this week, and the Jets are going to pull this one out at home. Moving on, though, to what I think is going to be the game of the week in NFL. You got the Bills going to the Patriots, a 1 o'clock game. The 1-2 and two Bills looking to go 2-2. Two and two. Patriots looking to go 4-0 without Tom Brady. No one thought they'd be this close. The real questions going into this week, though, are who is going to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots. Jimmy Garoppolo is still dealing with an injury to his shoulder. Jacoby Brissett is still dealing with a finger injury, I believe. Um... If both are healthy, I think you go with Garoppolo, try and get to 4-0, and let the savior, Tom Brady, come back in Week 5 and just keep rolling and rolling. But if you can't, a Brissett has to start. I think you're going to see that simplistic offense they ran against the Texans again. I think Rex Ryan is going to be able to put up a defense out there that's going to stop that. So my prediction for this game, if Garoppolo starts, I think it's going to be close. But the Patriots win if set starts it's going to be close but the bills win just as that game is a big matchup in the afc we look at a big matchup in the nfc for week four and the panthers go to the falcons panthers coming off that shocking loss to the vikings and the falcons coming off a big win at new orleans on monday night football i like the panthers in this one to rebound i think kelvin Benjamin has a big game and i think cam newton had his superman cape ripped off last week by the vikings but i think this week he throws it right back on julio jones is probably gonna have a big game though just because the secondary for the panthers is lacking ever since they lost josh norman but in the end panthers are gonna make one too many big plays and gonna beat the falcons 
After that game, we look at the Cardinals and the Rams. Cardinals at home, one and two, looking to get to five hundred at two and two. The Rams surprisingly two and one behind that great defense that they have. They've stifled opponents in the past. I think the Cardinals are going to really try and rebound from last week's terrible performance against the Bills. Carson Palmer, what scares me, though, is because he wants to rebound so much, could force some passes and create some turnovers. But what is going to save the Cardinals in this game is their defense, and I think their defense is going to just shut down the abysmal offense that the Rams have, and the Cardinals are going to come out on top on this one. Probably a pretty low-scoring game. If it's not low-scoring, it's it's going to be all Cardinals, all one-sided, probably in like the 40s to 14 range, if I had to be honest, if it's going to be a blowout for the Cardinals. The last game I want to look at is a Sunday night football game between the Chiefs and the Steelers. The Chiefs go to Pittsburgh, both teams 2-1, and one. both teams good football teams, going to be contenders in the AFC throughout the season. Steelers going to try and rebound from that embarrassing loss they had to interstate team the Philadelphia Eagles, Chiefs coming off that monster defensive performance against the Jets where the defense got six interceptions. I like the Steelers in this one. They get Le'Veon Bell back. I'm really interested to see how they're going to be able to handle both running backs with D'Angelo Williams being real good for them the first three weeks. And then Bell, such a dynamic runner and pass catcher that he is how they're going to be able to handle both of them. Again, I didn't really get to see my other question answered for the Steelers. Who was going to be that second guy for Big Ben to go to, either Coates or Wheaton or Eli Rogers, because last week nobody stepped up. So I think if somebody can step up in the receiving core, that's really going to help that offense out a lot. The Steelers' defense is going to need to show up. The Chiefs, I think, are going to get Jamal Charles back, and he is probably the most dynamic running back, pass catcher, runner, everything wrapped up into one. I like him a lot, but in the end, I think the Steelers move to 3-1, and one, and that panic button isn't hit just yet in the Steel City. Okay, I lied. That is not the last game we're going to talk about. I didn't realize how good and tasty and juicy that matchup is on Monday Night Football. The Giants go to the Vikings in that wonderful, beautiful new stadium, the dome that the Vikings have. I like the Giants in this one. I know the Vikings are 3-0. Their defense has shown up and proven that they're one to be reckoned with, but I think the Giants have enough firepower on offense. They're going to be looking to come back from that devastating loss they had last week to the Redskins where Eli turned it over on the game-winning, potential game-winning drive. I think Odell Beckham is going to have a big game, and Orleans Darquois, kid out of Tulane, I believe, is going to probably be starting at running back for the G-Men. He's a tough runner. I think he's going to take it to the Vikings defense, or at least try to. He's going to run real hard. The Vikings are going to put up a pretty good fight, probably. Svon Diggs is going to have a good game. I'm really interested in seeing how Sam Bradford, who going to be going up against a Giants defense that their pass rush is middle of the road. It's not great. It's not bad. But their secondary leaves a little to be desired. So I'd like to see if people are saying he's resurged his career now that he's in the Vikings organization. But I'm still a little questionable about it. But if he has a big game against this team, again, it'd be nice to see so he can answer some more questions about how legit he is. But... If he does have a bad game, it's going to show. If he can't have a good game against a pretty bad secondary, where does that leave you if you're the Vikings coaches and the Vikings team with him as your quarterback? So, like I said, like the Giants to pull out the victory on Monday night.
We looked back at week three of NFL. We looked ahead to week four. So that's going to wrap up the NFL talk for this episode. But now we get to talk about America's pastime, the old sticking ball. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit of Major League Baseball and the playoff races are real good. They're coming to a close now. So the Cubs have clinched the NL home field and they've clinched the NL Central. The Nationals clinched the NL East. The Dodgers clinched the NL West. The Rangers locked up AL West. The Indians, first time since 2007, clinched the AL Central. And the Red Sox have clinched a playoff berth. But now we look at teams that are still fighting for a spot in the playoffs. Um, the wild card in the AL right now, you got Toronto and Baltimore. Detroit's a game back behind Baltimore. Seattle's only a half, one and a half games back, and Houston is three games back in the AL wild card. A lot could still happen. I think Detroit is going to end up getting that second wild card spot, and I think Toronto is going to hold on and win the wild card get the first spot there, and I think Boston is going to end up winning the AL East. We talked some AL wild card. Now we're going to talk some NL wild card, where the Mets have a half-game lead over the Giants, and then the Giants have a game lead over the Cardinals for the second wild card spot, and the Marlins of Miami are five games back, and... What I'd like to talk about now is a little bit more serious than just standings and playoffs and everything like that. Over the weekend, the Miami Marlins lost Jose Fernandez, who was a great young pitcher, probably the ace of the Marlins. And looking at player tributes from around the league and stuff, everyone that was asked about him or talked about him or got to know him just spoke so highly of him and talked about how passionate for the game he was and how just kid-like he was when it came to playing baseball, how much he loved the game, how much he looked forward to playing it. Um, Don Mattingly had a great interview on uh, Rich Eisen's show about the tragic loss of Jose Fernandez. He was lost in a boating accident. No drugs or alcohol was in play. It was just a freak accident. So you hate to see such a young player die and not even just a young player, just such a young person die, especially one with so much potential, um, like I said, was one of the best young pitchers the MLB, especially in the NL, was almost in contention for the NL Cy Young this year. He had a really good year, but again, you hate to see somebody so young with so much potential pass away like he did, and I really enjoyed seeing how much the players around the league respected him, thought so highly of him, and the game between the Mets and the Marlins was very important for both teams and their playoff contentions, but they understood the uh, gravity of the situation and paid their due respects, and it was really cool to see that. So rest in peace, Jose Fernandez. You'll be missed. Unfortunately, though, that was not the only death this past weekend. Late Sunday night, Arnold Palmer passed away, and he was nicknamed the King, and he was nicknamed the King for a reason. He won seven major championships during his career, and he played for more than five decades. So more than 50 years he played golf. He won the Masters four times, 
The British Open twice and the U.S. Open once, so didn't win the Grand Slam, but still an amazing career. Really brought golf to the common people, uh, made it an every man's man type of game where just the common man would watch it on Sundays and just be interested because of how much Arnold Palmer captivated them. And not only was he the king on the course, he was the king off the course. I never had the pleasure of meeting him, but... Anybody that has met him always will willingly tell you how nice he was. Just looking at tweets and store and hearing stories from athletes and people that have met him, they're just so able to talk about how kind and caring and everything he was as a person off the course is what really truly made him the king. Um, it could have been maybe foreseen because he didn't tee off this year at the Masters like he traditionally does, um, but didn't do it this year, so maybe that could have raised some flags. He is one of, if not the best golfers ever, but that should not be his only legacy. He was the king on and off the course, and not only will the golf world miss him, but so will the entire world. Now, I understand those last two segments were a little bit tough to talk about. They're a little sad, but if I know Arnold Palmer, like I think I know Arnold Palmer, he'd want me to talk about it, and he would want nothing more than the United States to kick Europe's ass this weekend in the Ryder Cup. So with that, we're going to talk about some new balls. We're going to be talking about golf for the first time on Carson Sack Podcast because, like I said, it is Ryder Cup week. This year's Ryder Cup is the 41st Ryder Cup ever. It's at Hazeltine, so it's on American soil. The USA hasn't won in four times, so in eight years. Last time they won was in 2008 in Louisville, Kentucky at Valhalla. That was a great experience I was able to go to. The team this year for the United States is captained by Davis Love, the third the vice captains, you got Jim Furyk, who I thought should be playing because he shot a 58 this year and a 59. That's real impressive. Steve Stricker, Tiger Woods, and then Bubba Watson, who is great on the course. A little questionable decision-making sometimes. So what's Davis Love do? All right, come be the coach. So that's a little questionable there. But the players that will actually be playing for the United States, you got Dustin Johnson, who won the U.S. Open this year. You got Jordan Spieth. Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Jimmy Walker, Brooks Kepka, Brent Snedeker, and Zach Johnson. Those were all guys that got on the team by points. And then the captain's pick for the Americans this year, you got Ricky Fowler, J.B. Holmes, Kooch with Matt Kuchar, and then Ryan Moore. I saw a stat somewhere that since the 2008 Ryder Cup, players over 30 have a losing record and players under 30 for the Americans have a winning record. So there's five players on the USA team that are over 30. So that could be a little dangerous, maybe a little misleading stat, but Davis Love didn't get to pick all his players, but the ones he did, um, two of them were over 30. So that's a little concerning. Davis Love, is trying to do a task that hasn't been done, like I said, in eight years and four tries. Get the Ryder Cup back on American soil. Bring home the championship. I like this team a lot. The first pairings for thir- for Friday, though, what I'd like to see 
<clears throat> I'd like to see Dustin Johnson paired with Brooks Kepka have some real bombers right off the tee. Patrick Reed, this is a big week for me and my fandom of him. I really don't like him at all. I remember he won a couple years ago. It wasn't a big tournament, but it wasn't it wasn't a major, but it wasn't a real small tournament either. It was about I think it might have been the John Deere or the Zurich or something like that. He won and he just kind of ran his mouth a little bit, but every team needs that player that has the confidence, has the swagger about him that says, I'm the best in the world and nobody can fuck with me when I'm on. And I think he's the guy this year for the Americans. I think he, but he did open his mouth again and he said he only wants to be paired with Spieth because he thinks Spieth is the best in the world and on this team and wants to play with him. So I'll give him his wish. I'll pair up Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed. I'd like to see Phil Mickelson with probably... Um, with Ricky Fowler just because Fowler's played a little inconsistent this year and Phil Mickelson can play inconsistent at times but when he's on, he's on I'd like to see um, Snedeker with J.B. Holmes I think that'd be a real fun type thing I'd like to see Zach Johnson with Ryan Moore just because Ryan Moore is a little unknown he played real well in the FedEx playoff playoffs and stuff came up lost in a playoff to uh ricky not ricky fowler to roy mcelroy who's on europeans team but i like this team a lot for the americans i think they got a good chance of bringing it home we looked at the boys from the states now we gotta go across the pond and i gotta talk to you a little bit about team europe they're headed by rory mcelroy who won the fedex playoff then we got danny willett the masters champion henrik stenson who won the Open Championship. They got Wood, not really sure who that is. They got Sergio Garcia, who's been a mainstay on Team Europe for a while now. They got Justin Rose, who was the Olympic champion. They have Cabrera Bello, don't know much about him. They have Sullivan and Fitzpatrick again, not really sure who they are. I apologize. Um, They have Peters as well. Again, I apologize. Not sure about him. But the last two captains pick, Martin Keimer, great player. Lee Westwood, probably the face of uh, the Team Europe for a while now. I think he's been on every team for Team Europe since 1999, so that's pretty impressive. They're headed by uh, Captain Darren Clark. I like what Europe has. It's pretty scary. They've got a lot of champions on the team this year, but I don't foresee them coming out. I think it's time Team USA wins one. What better place to do it on American soil? So I'm going to give the Ryder Cup to the Americans this year. And while I do think the Americans are going to win, I think it's going to be a very exciting event. The Ryder Cup only takes place every two years. It's an amazing event. Gets a lot of buzz around golf, and it's broadcast on TV just like every golf event is. But this is really such a different event, and it brings so much excitement. There really is nothing like the Ryder Cup in the world. Um, it was awesome to go to in 2008. It's always an exciting event. I love it, but like I said, I really think Team USA brings it home this year and makes me love it even more. USA is going to bring it home for the first time in four events, first time in eight years, so I'm really excited for that. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, that is the sixth episode of Carson Sack Podcast. We made it through another one of these things. Again, the retweets, the likes on Twitter, 
Greatly appreciated the shares, anything on Facebook, appreciated. Just trying to get this podcast in front of as many people as we can. The continued support from friends, family, everything like that is truly appreciated. Thank you again. I'm really looking forward to this weekend in sports. Like I said, you got a great weekend for football in college and the NFL, and then you got the Ryder Cup, an event like no other in golf this weekend. So a lot to look forward to. Thank you again for listening to Carson Sack Podcast, and we'll be seeing you.